And good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. And I'm Warren Landis, your Sunshine USA host and Bible teacher. And as usual, it is so great for me to welcome you to our radio audience as we begin another broadcast and another look at the Word of God. I hope that reading and studying the Word of God more in 24 is one of your goals for 24. Uh, I don't think, personally, we can ever get too much of the Word of God. Uh, We can use all the Word of God we can get. Now, of course, I'm realistic. I know that most people today have busy schedules. you got to go to work. you got to go to school. You have other obligations. And it's not possible to literally spend 24 hours a day in the Word of God. But I think most Christians can, if they manage their schedules properly, they can put some time in their schedule every day for the reading and studying of God's Word. And by the way, I think it might be a good idea to let your friends and family know what time of the day you typically study the Word of God so that they will uh, not contact you during that particular time. Now, most people that know me, for example, they know that you know I get up pretty early every morning and I like to read the Word of God. And it's also during these morning hours that I like to record my podcast called Sunshine USA. And so most of my friends and families know that it's probably not a good idea to try to call me too early in the morning. Usually, by 10 o'clock every morning, I have my program recorded and posted online, and I'm ready to go (laughs) with whatever else I have for that day. But you might want to let your friends and family know the time of day that you typically study the Word of God so that they will be able to show you the courtesy of not trying to bother you during um, that particular time. And of course, we today have so many advantages when it comes to Bible study that previous generations didn't have. I I remember when I got saved back in November 1969. Obviously, we didn't know anything about the Internet back in those days. And today we have a lot of free internet resources that were not available then. Back then, if you wanted a a Bible commentary or if you wanted access to some of the modern Bible translations, uh, you had to go out to the bookstore and buy them at considerable cost. But now a lot of this stuff is available (coughs) free of charge online. And I thank God for that. Other times you can find Uh, good Christian resources uh, that will allow you to um, buy materials at a low cost. For example, I buy a lot of my Bibles and Christian books at a place called ChristianBook.com. ChristianBook.com. They have... Uh, fairly low prices for Bibles and other Christian growth resources. And that's where I choose to buy a lot of my stuff. Uh, you also have LifeWay. LifeWay is uh, another uh, online bookseller that a lot of Christians buy stuff from. 
and uh, sometimes you have various independent Christian bookstores across America. Uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church here in Greenville, South Carolina has their own Christian bookstore, and it's a pretty good one at that. Um, there's a, another Christian bookstore, I think it's called Crossway, I'm not sure, over in Easley, South Carolina, and they have pretty good materials. Uh, and I'm sure that in your neck of the woods, whatever state you live in, whatever country you live in, you know where you could go and buy good Christian materials. And I would suggest that you set aside money in your budget for these materials if you can, because it will actually help you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. Now today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Now I've given this uh, chapter a very interesting title. In fact, uh, if you saw this episode promoted on the internet, it was titled, Women, Sex, and Marriage. Women, Sex, and Marriage. These are some of the topics that Paul deals with in this particular chapter. I might also add he deals with uh, singleness, those who choose for whatever reason not to marry. So there's some very good and interesting stuff here in chapter 7. Now Paul says in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Uh, now this indicates that not only did Paul write to uh, the churches where he had ministered in the past, but apparently individual Christians wrote letters to Paul asking him various questions. Uh, that's one of the things I encourage my listeners to do here on Sunshine USA. I always encourage you, if you have a question, to uh, simply give me a call or, or give me an email, and I'll be glad to correspond. Now, by the way, I do have a new uh, phone number that you can use if you want to call in a question. I, I would recommend that you wait till after the broadcast, though. But a phone number you can call if you want to ask me a Bible study question. Or, by the way, if you have prayer requests or you just need somebody to talk to, my new phone number is 864-608-2102. That's 864-608-2102. Now, uh, I don't know too many TV and radio preachers out there that give away their own personal phone numbers. But I do it because this is an interactive personal ministry. I'm not just someone who preaches and teaches to the whole wide world, but I like to minister to individual Christians in whatever way I can. But Paul makes it a point to answer questions that have been put to him. He said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, this is where he generally hints at what he's going to be talking about during this entire chapter. He's going to be talking about women. And as you will see, as we get further into this chapter, he also deals with sex and marriage, divorce, remarriage, and even being single. So he has a lot to say in this one 
particular chapter. He says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinence. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment, for I would that all men, in verse 7, were even as myself. Okay? Now, we're going to stop there for just a moment. First of all, Paul seems to indicate here that if you were married, you obviously have certain obligations to your spouse, and you need to fulfill those obligations. Paul also makes it clear that the husband is not superior to the wife, and the wife is not superior to the husband. There is equality here. And so that's one of the things that Paul is making perfectly clear. Now, notice that Paul says here, I wish that all men could be as myself. Now, that brings up the very interesting question, was Paul ever married? Was Paul ever married? And I can tell you that Bible scholars have had a lot of debate on this subject, and you'll be amazed at some of the answers they come up with. Some theorized that Paul had to be had to have been married at one time because, after all, at one time he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish supreme court, in which case marriage would have been a prerequisite. Some theorized that Paul was maybe, perhaps, married earlier in his life maybe back in the days when he was a Pharisee, but maybe his wife died in childbirth. And following that death, he chose not to remarry. That could be the case. Um, I take a position that other Bible scholars take, and that was that Paul was never married. I'm not sure that Paul was ever married, either as a Pharisee or as an apostle to the Gentiles now. Uh, I have to believe that if Paul had ever been married, this is something he would have been talking about in his writings. But, you know, it's interesting, in all 13 or 14 books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, not one single time does he talk about his wife or a previous spouse. And, you know, I don't know too many preachers today that don't spend at least some time talking about their wife in the pulpit. Somehow the wife becomes part of the pastor's sermon at least once in a while. But I personally take the position Paul was never married, 
and that furthermore, Paul never had any physical kids. Now, I know he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. But having said that, having said that, um, we find that Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but rather like a son spiritually. So Paul, it seems to me, was not married at any point in his life. That is the position I take. Now, of course, that brings up another interesting question that Bible scholars have also had a good time debating over over the years, and that is, can a man who is single, can a young Christian man who is single be, uh, say, pastor of a church, for example? Can they be a deacon? Can they preach as an evangelist? You know, can they be ordained into the gospel ministry? Uh, now, I'll tell you what my own personal opinion is. And you need to spend some time praying and searching the scriptures for yourself and come up with your own conclusion. But my conclusion is that one does not have to be married in order to be in the ministry. Uh, I have seen too many ministers rush into marriage simply to fulfill what they see as a prerequisite for ministry. They take the position, well, if I don't ever get married, I'm never going to be able to be pastor of a church. Now, unfortunately, because of the way most search committees operate, if you're a young minister and you're not married, your chances of getting called to any church as a pastor are not very good. I can tell you that much right now from experience. I remember one time I was in Alabama and a search committee was looking at me and they looked at my resume and they seemed to be pretty interested in my resume until they noticed one thing. I was single. I was not married. And once they realized I was not married, they were no longer interested in me being their pastor. In fact, one of the men on that committee went on to tell me, he said, well, preacher, you don't understand. We think that if you're not married, all you could preach about is heaven. I looked at him and I said, well, sir, are you trying to tell me something about your marriage? Hmm? Hmm? But needless to say, I didn't get anywhere with that search committee. They made it very clear that they were not going to consider calling someone who was not married to be pastor of their church. They preferred a pastor who was married and preferably with several small children to help fill up the nursery. Well, anyway, Paul is saying some valuable stuff here. He points out that if you are married, there are certain marital obligations that you have, and these obligations need to be fulfilled. Now, by the way, Paul also realized, and he'll say more about this a little bit later on in this chapter, but he realized that if you were not married, you had, in one sense of the word, an advantage 
over those who were not married. Because if you were not married, you had freedom to do things that you probably would not be able to do if you were married. So there's a certain advantage that comes with being single. I mean, obviously, I mean, let's say you're an evangelist and you're married, you can't spend 52 weeks a year on the road preaching the gospel. You've got to spend some time at home with the wife and kids. Amen? But now, if you're not married, you could spend 52 weeks a year, if need be, on the road preaching the gospel. Of course, now, even then, I wouldn't recommend that, because I think every man needs a certain amount of rest. I mean, even though you're doing the work of a minister, you know, you can't go seven days a week. Your body was not designed to work seven days a week. I remember back when I was in seminary, I was working as the interim pastor of a church. I was a full-time radio announcer at a Christian radio station. I was working in the seminary library. And as a result, I was only getting about two or three hours a night sleeping. And that was a seven-day-a-week schedule. And pretty soon, my body started rebelling against me. I ended up in the hospital with a bleeding ulcer. And I had a Christian doctor give me some great advice at that time. She said, Warren, you need to realize that you're not Superman. Yes, God's called you into the ministry. But you're not Superman. You've got to make time for adequate rest. You've got to take time to eat a balanced diet. And of course, I've already indicated on past programs that I have health problems today due to the fact that I did not always have a, a balanced diet. I'm trying very hard nowadays to eat a better diet, but even so, it's not easy. I can tell you that much right now. And back when I was working at a Christian radio station, it was very hard. Because I was putting in so many hours at the Christian radio station, I didn't have time to go to the grocery store or the restaurant. And so I either ate nothing at all or I filled myself up on junk food and fast food. And over time, that started taking a toll on my body. And like I say, I ended up in the hospital with a bleeding ulcer. God expects us, and I think I indicated this on the last broadcast, God expects you and I to take care of these bodies that the Lord has given us. Amen. Okay, now, let's go on. Um, he says in verse 7, For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after the manner and another after that. In other words, Paul recognizes that being single is a gift from God, just like marriage is a gift from God. I have known many outstanding Christian men in my lifetime, 
that have referred to their wife as a gift from God. I have known many women in my lifetime that have said that their husband is a gift from God. And Paul seems to be saying it's also a gift from God to be single. Because as he'll outline further a little bit later on in this chapter, there are in fact certain advantages to not being married. There are advantages to being single. So, you know, if you're 30, 40, 50 years old and you're a Christian, you're serving the Lord and you're not married, it's very easy if you're not careful to get fretful. Saying to yourself, you know, if I don't find someone soon, I'm never going to find someone. Well, believe it or not, it could conceivably be the will of God in your case not to be married. Now, I would say this is probably the will of God for most people to get married. But I think there are special circumstances where God may desire for someone not to be married. I mean, look at the life that Paul lived after his conversion on the road to Damascus. Paul became a world-traveling evangelist. He spent a lot of time in prison. He spent time shipwrecked at sea. He was eventually beheaded. That's not much of a life to offer some woman as a husband. So for Paul, it was probably better in his calling that he not be married. I mean, it would have been very difficult for Paul to have carried his wife on some of the missionary journeys that he went on. And to require his wife to stay home all that time, that would have been hard too. And of course, back in those days, they didn't have radio or television or cell phones or email or anything like that. So there you have it. Paul goes on to say, verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried, and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So Paul is saying to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So once again, Paul seems to be making a clear point here that at least at the time he is writing 1 Corinthians, he is not married. Because he's identifying with those who were not married or those that are widowed. Okay? Verse 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So Paul, once again, seems to be saying it's better not to be married. But on the other hand, it's better to get married than to burn with lust. Verse 10, and unto the married. So first, Paul gives advice to those who were unmarried, to those who were widows or widowers. 
And now Paul is turning his attention to those who are married. He says, For unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. In other words, Paul's making it very clear here, this is not simply his opinion. But he's saying this comes from the Lord. And one thing I like about Paul, Paul generally distinguishes whether or not he is expressing his own personal opinion, which he does at some points in this chapter. And other times he says, no, this is very emphatic. This is something that comes from the Lord. Okay? He says, and to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. He says, let not the husband put away his wife. Now, here, of course, Paul is making reference to a provision in the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, it was permissible for a man to divorce his wife. All he had to do was to simply write out a piece of paper or a parchment, a statement of divorce, give it to his wife, and then she had to hit the door. She was out the door. But Paul says it's not really God's will for a man to put away his wife. Now, of course, that's the ideal. We, we do know and in the real world, divorce happens. And um, I have known many men and many women in my lifetime who ended up in divorce through no fault of their own and not as a result of any choice of their own. And so sometimes, whether we like it or not, somebody ends up in divorce. Now, I do believe this, a divorced person should not be looked upon as a second-class Christian. Let me say that again. A divorced person should never be seen as a second-class Christian. I'm afraid in so many of our churches, divorced people are looked down upon. They are looked at with scorn and despise. But sometimes even the best of people end up divorced and not necessarily through any fault of their own. Even though I will make this statement, I don't think any couple who gets divorced, I think both the husband and the wife have to share some degree of blame for the breakup. Now, sometimes one party or the other is a lot more guilty than the other party. But usually it comes about as wrongdoing on the part of both. Sometimes, like I say, even in the best of situations, divorce happens. I would say this, if your spouse has left you, then there comes a point where you have to get on with your life. You have to realize that God still loves you in spite of the divorce, 
and God still has a plan for your life in spite of divorce. Okay, let's read on. But to the rest I speak not the Lord, but if any man or if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if it be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now you are holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. Now, Paul is saying that if you have an unbelieving spouse, and by the way, I will say this, if you were a Christian, and especially if you're a Christian teenager listening to this broadcast, I would give you this advice. Never get married to someone who is not a Christian. In fact, I would take it a step further than that. Don't even date a person who's not a Christian. Now, the reason I would say don't date a person who's not a Christian is because, you know, human nature being what it is, you could very easily find yourself falling in love with a woman even though she's not a Christian. And then the next thing you know, you're married to someone who's not a Christian. And you're going to be in for all kinds of heartache because I tell you, a unbelieving spouse and a Christian spouse are going to have nothing but difficulty. There's going to be a lot of heartache, a lot of tragedy, a lot of suffering. And so if you're a Christian, don't even date someone who's not a Christian. And by the way, if, if you're a Christian, don't say, okay, I can date this person because they say they're a Christian. Well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But maybe they're not on the same level you are as a Christian. Maybe you're a very strong Christian and maybe they're a very weak Christian. In which case, I would still advise not to get married. Or even to date them. Because if you do, you could be inviting problems in your life down the road. Chapter 7, verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou wilt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. That's in verse 17. In other words, Paul is indicating, if you do find yourself as a Christian married to one who is not a Christian, by staying with them and respecting them, 
and fulfilling your obligation to them, it might be that you will have an opportunity to lead that person to the Lord. Now, by the way, you don't lead someone to the Lord by nagging them. You usually don't lead somebody to the Lord by beating them over the head with the Bible. A lot of times, witnessing to someone takes time. It requires patience. And, um, I mean, I'm here to tell you. Amen. Now Paul goes on to the subject of circumcision. Now one of the things that the Jewish community was required to do back in those days, when a Jewish child was born, it had to be circumcised on the eighth day. In fact, we know that Mary and Joseph did this with Jesus. They saw to it that on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised. Paul, however, realized that it was not good to require Gentile converts to be circumcised. Now, I can imagine there was a lot of joy among the Gentiles knowing that According to Paul, they didn't have to be circumcised. I am told, I don't know, because I'm one of these guys that was circumcised at birth. And I'm glad that my parents did that. Because I understand if this is done later in life, for the man at least, this can be a very painful experience. And I'm glad that my parents chose to spare me that pain. Amen. But Paul made it very clear that he was not going to require Gentiles to be circumcised. Verse 18, Is any man circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man uncircumcision? In uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called, being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, Use it rather, for he, for he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You are bought with the price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So, Paul is indicating here something about the liberty that we have in Christ. And ultimately, we're not subject 
to the authority of men were subject to Christ and his leadership, his lordship. Now, by the way, I understand a lot of people spend a lot of time debating about lordship salvation. Here's the important point. We're not saved by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Works has absolutely nothing to do with it. However, once we are saved, works does enter into it. Paul indicated in his teachings that one of these days, we as Christians will have to give an account before God for our stewardship, for our works. Now, as Christians, we don't work to obtain salvation because that's free by grace through faith. But if we are a Christian, we should desire to conform to the will of God in our lives. We should grant the Lord Jesus Christ total lordship over our life. He has that right. Paul says concerning virgins, in chapter 25, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy in the Lord to be faithful. Once again here, Paul is saying, I have something to say here. He says, now this is not a command of the Lord. This is my opinion. And that's one of the things I like about Paul. Paul distinguishes between that which is thus saith the Lord, and that which is his own opinion. Okay? Verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. If thou art loose from a wife, seek not a wife. And if, but, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now, I will say this here. Paul recognizes that Maybe the number one source of distress in our life is relationships with the opposite sex. What you decide in that area may have a lot to do with how much stress you live in. I know some Christians that are married. They are not divorced and they've never even thought about divorce. But man, let me tell you. There is all kinds of stress in their life. Their life is basically hell on earth, even though they have not divorced. One of the smartest things you can do as a young man, if you're a young man in high school or you're a young man in college or you're a young woman in high school or a young woman in college, hear what I have to say. 
you commit that area of your life to God. It is the best way to live a stress-free life. If the Lord is leading you to get married and you get married to the spouse that God has led you to, then that is a recipe for success. But if you find yourself getting married to the wrong person, it can give you a lot of stress for the rest of your life. So there you have it. Now, um, he says in verse 29, But I say, brethren... But I say, brethren, now notice here in verse 20 that Paul is speaking to brethren. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He says, um, let me find my place here. But he says in verse 29, but this I say, brethren, I said verse 20 a while ago, it's actually verse 29. Time is short, it remaineth, that both they that have wives as though they had none. And they weep as though they were not, and they rejoice as though they rejoice not, that they that buy as though they were possessed not. For they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How it may please the Lord. That's in verse 32. Now this is where Paul talks more specifically about the advantages that someone has if they're single as opposed to being married. They have time to take care of the things of the Lord. Uh, for example, let's say you're a pastor of a church. And all of a sudden you feel the led of the Lord to accept the pastorate in another state, in another city. You don't have the freedom of just packing up your bags and leaving. You have to talk to your wife. You have to try to find out what her opinion is. And listen to her. She may have some good reasons why she doesn't want to go to another state, or she may have some reasons why you should go to another state. But your wife has a say in the matter. Whereas if you're not married, you don't have to confer with your wife. You can do whatever the Lord leads. He says, um, in verse 33, But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how that he may please his wife. In other words, uh, in verse 33, we find 
that uh, Paul is saying if a man's married, he has to make time for his wife. A man who is too busy to spend time with his wife and do things with his wife is, I believe, far busier than God ever intended for him to be. You know, for example, let's say you have a desire to spend 52 weeks a year on the road preaching the gospel. But your life, your wife would like to go on a vacation once in a while. She would like to have a family picnic once in a while, or maybe a family reunion. And as a Christian evangelist and you're married, you have to consider these things. You may not be able to accept as many church speaking engagements as you would otherwise like to accept. Now, one sad footnote here that I will add in studying Baptist history as I did in the seminary, it was a sad fact that many uh, preachers in the 1800s and early 1900s, they would actually spend 52 weeks a year on the road preaching because they were not happily married. They were married, but not happily married. And the way they saw it, being on the road every week preaching the gospel, it was how they stayed out of an unhappy situation. Very sad, but very true. Now, skipping down for a few moments to verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I thank, and I thank, also I have the Spirit of God. In other words, uh, a spouse is married to their spouse as long as their spouse is alive. Now, based on this teaching, it would seem to indicate that if you are divorced, but your ex-spouse is still alive, you don't have the freedom to remarry unless your previous spouse has died. I think what Paul is trying to indicate here is the fact that divorce is never the first will of God. Now, as I've already indicated in this broadcast today, sometimes it happens. Sometimes, in spite of your best efforts to keep the marriage together, the marriage ends up in divorce. And unfortunately, in those, in, in those situations, there's really not much you can do about it. There's really not a lot you can do about it. Except realize that you're not a second-class Christian and that if you're divorced, God still loves you in spite of the divorce. And if you're divorced and remarried, God still loves you too. You're not a second-class Christian. 
and get on with your life and just determine that from this day forward, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. And that basically brings us to an end of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Now we've had to hurry through some of this. Obviously, as you can see, there's a lot in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I hope that this chapter answers some of the questions that you may have. And if not, you're free to contact me. My phone number is 864-608-2102. 864-608-2102. I would love to hear from you. If you have a Bible study question, if you have a prayer request, a praise report, I would love to hear from you. And if you just need somebody to talk to, I would love to do that as well. Like I say, I don't know too many radio and TV preachers nowadays that are giving away their own personal telephone number. I also have two email addresses if you want to contact me that way. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you want to contact me by snail mail, you can do that too. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, zip code 29605. Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now the apartment number is very important. Because if you don't put that apartment number down, I won't get it. Amen. Well, before our next broadcast, I want you to read and carefully study 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm trying not to go too fast. And I'm also trying not to go too slow. But I do want us to make a serious commitment every day this year to Bible study. And those of you that know me, those of you that have been listening to me for a while, you know that I take teaching the Bible very seriously. And I would never, ever knowingly teach you anything that is false. I have a desire to rightly divide the word of truth as the Lord gives it to me. So pray for me that God will continue to use me in his service. That God will continue to use me to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, anyway... That brings us to the end of another broadcast. And I want to say that I've enjoyed being with you this hour. And I hope that you'll tune in again next time on Sunshine USA.